a prior guest has me thinking about vulnerability on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. I'm happy today to be welcoming back to the show, Sandy Morgan. Sandy works with me and she's the director of the Center for Women and Justice and also teaches courses in our women's studies minor and is also a dear friend. She decided to join me in this reflection we're both going to be doing about what is it like to be vulnerable in our teaching. Before I get to that, though, I have to talk about the vulnerability of being a little tiny precious egg. The other day I was in the backyard and my my son, who is three and just shy of three and a half, comes and says, here, mommy, look what I found. It turned out to be an egg. We don't know what kind of egg it was. And there was, wasn't anything in it. And he started asking all these questions about what was inside of the egg and well, where is that chick now mm. and that little bird now. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not ready to have the death conversation. Of course, maybe the bird is still just perfectly alive and it flew off. I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how these <laughs> things work. But it was funny because I had been, we got some new balcony furniture out of our master bedroom, the little balcony there. And I had been just like completely dive bombed by a bird a few times and I put two and two together. Uh-huh. There's got to be a nest somewhere uh-huh. here. And I kept looking in the attached to our grain gutter is this this section of piping covered in bird poo. Mm. And it, where there's bird poo, there's yeah. likely birds. Yeah. But it was funny. It was one of those funny things where because my eyes were so focused on the pole, I missed if I just looked a little closer to me. There was actually a nest there, but Dave's the one that saw it when he came outside. I decided when we're vulnerable, part of the problem is vulnerability can can attract sort of scenes of poo. That's my theme for yeah. the, the very professional theme for today. So it, it gets a little messy. Yes, yes, it does. Actually, today's episode really was prompted by a past guest, Josh Eiler, who joined us. And on the show, when he joined us, he actually shared about how we need to honor our students and recognize the vulnerability they have to go through to enter into the learning process and how we need to really have such a high regard for what they need to do. And just in the last week, he posted the most powerful blog. I will be posting a link to this in the show notes about his family's journey. His wife was recently diagnosed with some sort of neurological disorder. I'm not sure they've actually firmed up the diagnoses, but that's the path that they're traveling down. She's essentially just in constant pain now. And he wrote about what that was like teaching over the course of the semester and trying to support his wife. And I don't, I I won't, I can't do his words justice, but I encourage everyone to go to teachinginhigheredcom slash 51. This is the 51st episode and read his post. It's very powerful. But boy, the kind of vulnerability he had to share with the community of people that are all working at teaching and being more effective at what we do, I thought it was so powerful because this is stuff that happens to us all the time 
in our lives and in our teaching. So that's what we're here to talk about a little bit today. And Sandy, tell me, what what do you think of, what do you reflect on in your teaching experience as times when you've had to be really vulnerable or even times when you've held back from maybe what might have naturally been an urge to be vulnerable? I bring into the classroom my own life experiences. And so if I choose to share those experiences, I need to be prepared for whatever the response is from the students. But I also feel a great deal of responsibility to the people in my life that I'm doing life with. If I bring a very vulnerable moment from my life into the classroom, I want to make sure that the person who shared that moment with me is okay with me sharing it. I'm, I want to be careful about that vulnerability. And I think for me, I'm thinking about telling stories about my own life as being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That, that's my, what, the, what I'm imagining. It really has to contribute to their understanding of whatever the course content is. It's mm-hmm. not just to get them to like me yeah. or to feel sorry for me or to um, pay attention to me. There's, we've certainly, both you and I know a lot of examples of, of faculty that in our estimation, would have gone too far, too mm. too vulnerable to where it isn't related to the course. And it is, I, in fact, I've shared on prior episodes about students, I don't even know who the person was they were talking about, but students who were sharing that they felt sorry for their professor and it was coming time to fill out the evaluations and they thought, oh, well, his life is already so hard and I don't want to make it worse, but he's a horrible, <laughs> you know, these are from the, out yeah. of the mouths of our students. We know what that looks like on that end of things, but is it possible to be too guarded, to be too protective of one's self and not crack open that shell? Yeah, it would be a little artificial that you never had any issues and so and that they wouldn't become part of your your dialogue, especially in this this generation where an interactive classroom environment is expected by our students. We have this spectrum of too much vulnerability, and we kind of have an idea of what that looks like. And then we have the too little vulnerability, where it may be difficult for our students to feel like they could connect with us. And that whole thing about coming to office hours. I think that part of the benefit of some level of vulnerability is it contributes to approachability. Mm-hmm. When I um, I start, I teach an upper division Uh, 300 level social course on family violence. And so many times I will, and it's the only social course that I teach. So many times I'll have students in that class who I've never had before. And I began to realize somehow I need to connect with them that I'm not just, oh, she's the the human trafficking lady, and she's this advocate and all of those things. I want to somehow demonstrate I've got a family the very first week. And so, um, but I don't want to tell them, you know, heartbreaking stories. Mm -hmm. So I found that showing a, a less than a minute video clip of my grandson doing a 360 flip on his scooter at a professional competition at 14, they loved that. All of a sudden, I was a cool grandma. Mm. And so now I was approachable. And and we got into the material and we kind of got through the quick icebreaker part. Because in a course at that level, you don't, you can't use a whole month to get to know your students. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or for them to get to know you. Yeah, I absolutely see that. What kind of vulnerability do you see being required when you're asking your students for feedback or you're processing feedback that you maybe received for the, from them? I think being transparent about what you're going to do with that feedback and that you honestly want the feedback. I have a practice at the end of uh, particularly my upper division courses on the last class. I draw a chart up on the board and say, this is where I'm going to keep things. This is where things need to change. And here's things that we're missing. And you're the ones who are going to tell me what to put in those columns. And the first time that I do that, they're like, really? And because they already, they do that little feedback thing and um, that they have to evaluate that sort of thing. But when they're telling me directly, um, I watch the class begin to trust me that I'm really going to take their feedback and be vulnerable to listen to them. So I don't think vulnerability is just about talking and telling your story, but I think it's about um, being an active and listener that values what they're saying. And then all of a sudden, I can't shut them up. Everybody's mm-hmm. hand is up. Oh, we love this. No, don't take that out. And somebody else says, no, get rid of that. I don't like writing a paper. And then seven other people say, but I learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. So they become much more involved in the conversation with that kind of vulnerability. That's part of the challenge with the written traditional surveys are that there's such a delay there's that time delay in the gap between when we receive that feedback. And I know it's not this way at all institutions, but at least at ours. And then those same students, they don't even get to see it because, of course, they're not going to take the class the next time. Right. That's helpful for them to get to see and you respond to the feedback. And I'm sure there's been times where you've thought, I don't know if you verbalized, but where you thought, okay, I'm not, that's <laughs> interesting feedback about for example, not writing a paper, but you know what, we're still going to do that next time. But that, that but both parties, I guess, have to be vulnerable well, for that to and work. In, in that, when they do their fill in the bubble, it's all solo mm-hmm. and quiet and you have to leave the room and all those things. But when we engage in this discussion as a group, when one kid says, one student says, um, yeah, get rid of the paper or cut it to six pages or whatever, mm-hmm. when seven others say, no, I really, I know it was hard, but I learned a lot from that. Um, that group interaction um, really brings um, a lot more of what their real world is because they make decisions as groups on social media, this generation. So this would be more reflective of how they make choices anyway. Absolutely. And they get, they have to be accountable to the feedback they're giving and what -hmm. other people's responses might be for sure. There were a few things I thought of, and I'm sure, Sandy, you might have some of your own to add in, that when I'm thinking through, should I take this risk to be vulnerable? There were a few things that I thought of. These are not hard and fast rules for me, but this is just some of the filters that I might use to help lean me toward, is this a opportunity for me to show some vulnerability and build that trust? Or is this one of those times it would be less appropriate for me to be sharing this? And the first one, you already mentioned a bit, but for me is, is it related to the course? Because I teach intro to women's studies, and I challenge some of the more traditional male female roles that some some of us kind of grow up with, this is the only thing women do. This is the only thing men do. So we do little exercises um, about, did your mom take out the trash or was that only your dad's job? Mm-hmm. Well, 
in our in our own personal story between my husband and I, we've had a major shift in our life um, when we came back to the States. And for the beginning of our marriage, I followed him with each of his assignments. And then when I decided to become a professor, um, we stayed and he didn't take a job opportunity that would have moved us in order to stay basically, if you will, follow me. Um, that was upside down. Mm-hmm. And our my students always love to talk about, well, you know, was he okay with that? Yeah. How, how did you? And then some, some of the uh, female students, it's like, how many times did you move for him? <laughs> and, and so you, you get a lot of the, the, the contrariness and the complementariness um, in the classroom by using a personal example, because now it's not about looking at the situation, but then they can engage and ask you, how did you feel about that? That example reminds me a bit, though, that I suspect, I mean, maybe not as much as if you were speaking to the broader campus student body, because by by very nature right. that they took that course, they're self-selecting to be a particular sort of person. I don't want to classify people too much, but there has to be times when you share things and then they start to get very free and open with their dialogue that they say something that could potentially offend you. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of it for myself. I just know some of them, as you said, have grown up entirely in different cultures really than than I grew up and that would be like well no women should just be at home they should just be with them. so I'm I suspect you must have gotten some comments like that and then that vulnerability that you were showing in the first place how do you work that out well and it is very confusing uh, for students when they ask me about well isn't your husband isn't it your responsibility to go with him wherever he goes? Isn't that what it says? And so discussing this from the perspective that this was a joint decision, Mm -hmm. it was mutually agreed upon. It wasn't me becoming suddenly I'm going to claim my rights. And I think, I think that's a really important lesson that they wouldn't learn just from reading theory. Yeah, but of actually engaging in a conversation. And because I'm vulnerable, it's okay for them to ask those questions. You've been around the block a number of times yeah. and you know there's different paradigms about what roles might be like, gender roles might be like in a family. So then it doesn't have to be about you. Right. It could just be about, oh, an opportunity for someone to see a different paradigm. I did think of an example, by the way. I had some students over to the home for some kind of a review and oh, this is so funny. I'm in the kitchen, which <laughs> you know me. <laughs> Not where you would normally find me, but that we were all, it was like a number of people, students were helping out with the cooking. And one of the young men came over and said, oh, I can't, this, and he says, oh, this home is amazing. I cannot wait to talk to your husband even more to find out how you guys were able to be as successful as, or how he was able to be as successful as this. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> just making the complete assumption 
Uh-huh. That the only reason that we live here is because of my husband, because he just, Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Ah. <laughs> Which is not an accurate reflection, but one that just based on someone's paradigm from how they grew up and in his world, it didn't affect, mm-hmm. it amused me to no end because I knew Dave was going to become an owl. <laughs> Yeah. And and then to watch Dave's face as this young man's, oh, I really couldn't wait to meet you and have you tell me how you're how you've been able to do all this. It's just, his first thing was, Well, Bonnie and I, we we did this together. This is yeah. <laughs> but and, it's and you knew he was gonna respond that way. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I think I think another um another benefit of, of having some vulnerability in the right context in the right class is that it frees up students to also be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I um, I mentioned already that I teach the family violence class. And so I'm very open at the very beginning of the course that um, we've had a situation in our own family with our own daughter. And so walking through that um, makes all of the um, content of this course very personal. And mm-hmm. so I want I want you to know that well, then that always results, and I use the word always, rarely, but in this particular case, always, that opens the door for students to also be very transparent and very vulnerable. And um, it makes it easy for them to self-disclose their own situations that may require some help, and then we're able to provide those resources. I don't want to get too clinical about it, but I am interested now because of these two pieces that you shared, you shared earlier about showing the video of your grandson mm-hmm. doing his fancy moves. Cause, yeah. Cause I want to be approachable. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. then now you've shared the context of the story. How, what order do those things happen in? Well, for me, um, it's the video first because we're just getting to know each other yeah. and we don't start um, in the deep end. Mm-hmm. So we don't go into um, personal until probably the second week in class. So the first week, I don't like here's some calculating, but, but no, I mean it's a yeah. little bit calculated in the sense of a proper context. You're modeling that for them because the other right. thing is, I guess that that's another thing that's coming to mind that for me has been sort of had this visceral reaction to some faculty members. The difference between the role of a professor and the role of a therapist. Oh. And that as far as our vul- students are not our therapists. <laughs> so they're, when we're vulnerable with them, we're not doing it because they're supposed to help or fix us. Right. That's, that's not an appropriate, it's as far as I come down the line, that's not a place to do it. And then when they're vulnerable with us, I, I know that I'm a good listener. I know that I have a background to understand some of the basics as far as if somebody threatens them to hurt themselves or someone else, this is a reportable thing where we're responsible legally and ethically around that. But I'm not a therapist. And even if I was a licensed therapist, someone's not going to be my student at the same time as I am their therapist. These are two separate roles for separate seasons. So I don't know how you, because you certainly run into that far more than I do, but I certainly do when students come and well, in that that back and forth about vulnerability, um, my I follow the same practice all the time. So I am so glad that you came and talked to me about this. And here are some resources that we have available for you. So I don't take responsibility. Um, I just create an opportunity for them to 
get the kind of resources that they might need. I don't know about you, but some of them have some real baggage that I've worked with where therapy was not something embraced in their family. In my family, mm-hmm. it was all I can remember at a young age. My mom telling me that she and my dad were going to see a counselor and that I didn't really know a lot about this at the time, but I remember being slightly fearful about, oh, is there something wrong? Is this something bad? And she said, no, there's nothing. This is something that, that couples do to be healthy in their relationships. Mm. Yeah, like taking your vitamins. Yeah, and I mean, what go. a wonderful thing for her to model mm. that for me at such a young age. So I never had any kind of hangups about going to see a professional like that at different seasons. Another question that I ask myself when I'm trying to determine whether to take the risk is, can I share this and still model resilience in my professional role? Kind of as you've already described with your story, it's I've got a story because it's important for you to know this about me so we can walk through this together about le- learning this together. But there's still this sense of that I'm resilient. I have this role. I was thinking about the hardest time that I ever had with vulnerability and teaching. I had, as you know, Sandy, we had a lovely seven and a half year journey before we had our first son. And there were many, many disappointments and losses along those seven and a half years. And one Monday morning, I had been to visit the doctor early, they would do six o'clock a.m. appointments, sometimes even earlier. And then I had, for some reason, I had a bunch of stuff to carry into campus. And I had just found out that I wasn't pregnant. Mm. Once again, another loss, another sense of grieving. And I'm thinking, I'm having one of those days where I just think, I can't do this. I cannot do that. How am I going to do this? So I'm carrying these boxes and bags and everything. I don't know why my personality, I'll just do everything I can to not have to take more than one trip (laughs) from the cars. I'm carrying all this stuff, but I don't realize that I'm carrying the stuff. And a man who I did not know, I, I, I sort of knew who he was, but did not know him well, stopped and said, are you okay? And I thought, he knows it. Sh- I mean, it must just show. And he meant, "Am I okay?" <laughs> like carrying all that stuff. <laughs> can I help yeah. you carry these boxes somewhere with you? And I got the boxes in, and then I went into my classroom. And I mean, I just physically, I'd had all these hormones and all. I mean, shots and all this stuff. And then, so there's the physiological piece, and then the emotional piece. And I went in. I mean, it's just this was the weakest point. And I'm setting up my computer and I'm just, it's one of those, I just have to do this 50 minutes. That's all I have to do is this 50 minutes. And a student came up to me and it was sort of just probably three or four minutes before class was about to start. And he said something and I responded to him. And then he looked at me and said, are you okay? Hmm. And that word, I don't know about you. I have this thing like if the tears don't fall out of my eyes, I'm not really crying. <laughs> like if they just get watery, then we're okay. And my te- I kind of kept my eyes really big. And I said, I'm okay. And he gave me like a big hug. And I did have, okay, one tear fell out. And then he sat down and um, I said, I just got some bad news at the doctors. And he, I mean, they, some of the students knew at the time that we were trying. So they, they kind of, he put two and two together and had figured out what had happened. Mm. But I thought it was so funny because no, I'm not proud of that. Do, do students really need to see us a lot like that? No. 10 years of teaching, I think I'm doing pretty good if I've only had that happen once. I wouldn't recommend that, mm. but I also don't apologize for it. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it does. It does. It, you know, we need to just be human. We're not machines. Yeah. 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 Other things that we think about in terms of whether or not we should share it. 
oh, what do you imagine the student's response to it might be? And we talked about that a little bit with you sharing about the gender differences and how that evolved with your family over time. And that some of the times the students' responses when we share these things may not fit our paradigms or may even, I've shared some things about the business world and, and when we've talked about different ways of setting things up to protect people for liability. And I once told a story about a neighbor and how he had hurt his shoulder and the whole thing. At any rate, one of the students ends up saying a remark that I found to be really offensive, borderline racist, actually not borderline. Let me subtract the word borderline and say what it was. It was a racist statement. And I mean, these are, but again, I think at least, and this is a subject for another day talking about race in the classroom. But if I allow myself to become personally offended. That is my most dangerous. That's not the vulnerability I want to have in my teaching. I agree. I agree. Uh, It's been a weakness. Mm. And I still, I know I have room, I can grow. But boy, that sign of if you're personally affronted, I think we're losing maybe our effectiveness to remain objective at how we might best educate and change minds. Well, and when you're talking about resilience, when you have differing opinions that are deeply rooted in life experiences, the home you grew up in, the culture you grew up in, when that is challenged and you respond in a resilient manner, that actually is really important for the other students that are watching that interaction. To be able to see that this, that is good modeling. We're going to go into the point of the show where we do recommendations. But before I do, Sandy, is there anything else that you want to say about vulnerability in our teaching? Our students, they value being real. And sometimes we may overextend ourselves to be real, to meet that expectation. And so I think we still have to remember that there are some boundaries and be careful to weigh why we're doing it, what of our objectives in the course is this going to meet, and how will it contribute to strengthening the whole class? Mm, those are really good guidelines. This is the point in the show where we give our recommendations. And one of the things Sandy and I were talking about is as a follow up to episode 48 with Scott Self about some of these new Evernote tricks. And this is strange that I had not used the Evernote chat feature that much until that episode. He and I were chatting back and forth a little bit afterward. And then Sandy, you and I worked on the notes for this show over the Evernote chat. So I know we were finding that to be something useful for us that people might want to have another look at. It's really easy and a fun way to communicate and collaborate on individual notes. It used to be you'd have to share an entire notebook but now we can just collaborate and chat on individual notes. And now if I look at my work chat inside of my Evernote app on my iPhone, I see three chats. I see the chat with Scott Self, the two of them that he and I did. He sent me a sample of one of his Evernote notes that he had used presentation view on. And I got to learn a little bit about that after we recorded the show. And then the note that Sandy and I were working on for this episode. So I just, Evernote just keeps getting better and better. Well, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I um, I also have an app that I just got this week that for those of you who are 
teaching and political science or something. In my area of expertise, advocacy is a big deal. And I try hard to keep up to date on any legislation that's going to impact uh, human trafficking, women's rights, children's rights. And I found a new app called Countable. And it allows me to follow particular legislation so that I can Mm. send direct comments to that particular political office. I can find out when it's going to be on the floor to vote. I can send out notes to my students if this is an issue that you're interested in. This is a good time to send a letter or a postcard to your representative. Sounds like a wonderful app. I will definitely put that in the show notes. And Sandy, thank you so much for being Thanks here. Thanks for inviting me. You've had a long afternoon of recording, and I told you you'd be out of here at 4.30, and it is now 4.37. So we're going to end the episode. All right. <laughs> and I just want to thank once again for your contribution to this discussion about vulnerability in our teaching. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks once again to Sandy Morgan for being my guest on episode 51 of Teaching in Higher Ed. If you have any comments about vulnerability in our teaching, please join the conversation at teachinginhighered.com slash 51. And as always, if you'd like to subscribe to the weekly update that gets you the notes to the podcasts, as well as a weekly article about teaching or productivity, that's at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. Hope you're having a great week and I'll see you next time.